The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawkbox. Here are your headlines today. UBS tops third quarter profit expectations as investment bank earnings jump by more than 30%. We'll hear from the Swiss lenders CEO Ralph Harmers at 8 o'clock CET. We didn't invent hate. We didn't invent ethnic violence. And that's not the question. The question is what is Facebook doing to amplify or, or expand hate? Facebook beats bottom line earnings estimates and ups its share buyback program. But that's overshadowed by searing whistleblower testimony. CEO Mark Zuckerberg hits back on the earnings call. Good faith criticism helps us get better. But my view is that what we are seeing is a coordinated effort to selectively use leaked documents to paint a false picture of our company. Tesla tops a trillion dollars in market cap as Hertz orders 100,000 cars, while Morgan Stanley hikes its price target. The stock surge adds $36 billion to CEO Elon Musk's personal fortune. And Tesla's gains push the Dow and S&P 500 to fresh records, while further big tech reports are due out today with Alphabet, Microsoft and Twitter all on the tap. Let's take a look at Novartis, a company that came out yesterday with some disappointing news about uh, another drug trial and uh, the company itself has seen a little bit of an underperformance in the share price space uh, around Big Pharma. And don't forget, there's been a huge focus still around COVID vaccines and tests. And uh, this is a company that has really focused pretty much elsewhere. It's still in the uh, fill and finishing stage of the COVID-19 vaccines, but not a direct player at this point. So to the numbers, it's delivered a solid Q3 result, according to the company, with strong growth in innovative medicines. It's announced a strategic review of Sandoz. The company's EPS has crossed a 1.23 US dollars versus an estimate of 1.27. So that is underwhelming, though, on that EPS line. Uh, the core EPS, 1.71. That's a beat, though, of the 1.65 anticipated. Uh, the company's net sales in the third quarter have grown 5%. Innovative medicines up 7%. So we're talking single to high single digit numbers here on these net sales lines. Uh, the overall print, that's at 13 billion US dollars in net sales, uh, pretty much close to what the market had anticipated. Net income, though, that is a tad below at 2.75 billion versus 2.9 billion anticipated. It uh, has spoken about some of the stronger uh, drivers in the business. Uh, Entresto, that is plus 44%. Cosontex, that is uh, plus 22%. Casimpta, it is uh, seeing some improvement there in those numbers as well, to the tune of plus 26%. Uh, so really wading through the performance in the various businesses. But Sandoz, that's declined by minus 2%, affected by continued pricing pressures. Uh, just a quick line on the core operating income, that is at 4.47 billion versus an estimate of 4.26. So it is beating on uh, a couple of these lines, as you can see, but missing on others. So a bit of a mixed bag on the earnings front, uh, the innovative business uh, with the medicines. This is quite key as you talk about future development. That is plus 13% due to higher sales and productivity programs. So uh, a couple lines there. 
but uh, no doubt uh, certainly worth further analysis at this point. And uh, just on that net profit line of $3.70 billion, uh, that has crossed, uh, that analysts rather had a poll of 3.70 on revenue of 13 billion. So uh, mixed lines here is what we're seeing from the business that has already seen some weakness in the share price so far this year. Now, our US colleagues will be speaking with the CEO, Vasner Simon. That is coming up later on at 23, uh, 2100 CET. A busy all day in the earnings front, and we mentioned uh, yesterday was a big uh, week for banks. UBS has reported a third quarter net profit of some $2.3 billion, its highest since 2015, and easily beating analyst expectations. The Swiss lenders' investment banking arm saw pre-tax profits rise 32% on the back of $19 billion in new fee-generating assets. That takes total invested assets to nearly $3.2 trillion. Jeff will be speaking to the UBS CEO Ralph Harmers this morning, and he'll be back on set with that interview. We're going to be bringing that to you live at 8 or 8 o'clock CET, so stay tuned for that conversation. Meantime, to the big story around Facebook shares, which rose an extended trade after the company posted a beat in third quarter earnings per share. But other data points came in mixed as the social media giant missed out on revenue numbers, posting a 35% increase compared to analyst predictions of nearly 38%. Our colleague Julia Boston filed this report. Facebook reporting a mixed quarter earnings per share of $3.22. That beat estimates by $0.03, while revenue of $29 billion fell short of expectations by more than half a billion dollars. Daily and monthly active user growth also missing estimates, and the company sharing guidance for fourth quarter revenue with a range that is below analyst projections. Facebook explaining that guidance, saying, quote, our outlook reflects the significant uncertainty we face in the fourth quarter in light of continued headwinds from Apple's iOS 14 changes and macroeconomic and COVID-related factors. But the stock did get a boost in after-hours trading from a couple of factors. Facebook announced a $50 billion increase in its share repurchase authorization and daily and monthly active user numbers in Facebook's most saturated markets showing better than expected growth. The company added daily active users in the U.S.-Canada region for the first time since the second quarter of 2020. Facebook also brought down its CapEx and total expenses for 21 slightly from the prior estimates. The other big news, Facebook announcing that starting next quarter, it will break out Facebook Reality Labs as a separate division from its reporting on its family of apps, announcing that the investment in Facebook Reality Labs, which will be abbreviating as FRL, will reduce overall operating profit in 2021 by $10 billion as the company ramps up those investments. Julie Borston, CNBC Business News, Los Angeles. I think it's fair to say journalists stateside have been pouring through the detail of leaked documents from Facebook and the company faces a slew of accusations, including uh, the documents that revealed a lot of this individual news from Facebook. The whistleblower Francis Horgan alleging the social media giant used censorship and did not do enough to tackle in misinformation. The former Facebook employee gave her latest testimony in front of the UK Parliament and said the company put profit before people's interests. She expressed doubt that its other platforms, including Instagram, were safe. In her testimony, Hagen called for tougher regulation on technology giants. I think there is a real thing that people are exposed to data, <coughs> and then they say, look at all the good we're doing. Like, yes, that's true. But like, we didn't invent hate. We didn't invent ethnic violence. 
And that's not the question. The question is, what is Facebook doing to amplify or, or expand hate? What is it doing to amplify or expand ethnic violence? You're right. I mean, Facebook didn't invent hate, but do you think it's making hate worse? Unquestionably, it's making hate worse. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg addressed some of the allegations on the company's earnings call, defending the social media giant against what he perceived to be an unfair scrutiny. I believe large organizations should be scrutinized, and I'd much rather live in a society where they are uh, than one where they can't, where they can't be. Uh, good faith criticism helps us get better. But my view is that what we are seeing is a coordinated effort to selectively use leaked documents to paint a false picture of our company. Tom Bianchi joins us now from EMEA, CMO at Acquia. Thank you very much for joining us, Tom. Let me ask you about the allegations. First up, there's been a string of them across the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times and other press organizations, all based on a trove of leaked information from the company. What do you make of how that overshadowed the earnings yesterday and whether Facebook still has an enormous challenge from here trying to wrestle back the dialogue? Yeah, definitely. It's clear that there's, um, you know, a lot of information come out in the leaked files that are impacting um, Facebook's day-to-day operations, I think, from now on. I think one of the things that we have to consider here is not only how Facebook are facing these allegations, but that combined with um, the change in advertising tracking from Apple um, and other market conditions, as they talked about, from the pandemic is really going to leave them in a, in a kind of rocky position for the next few quarters. We saw a very interesting earnings report yesterday and we had a day earlier snap setting the scene around changes around the Apple iOS system, which effectively prevents the advertisers from tracking users. This was a precursor to the Facebook numbers, which showed us it too is having an impact on Facebook's sales. What do you make of whether the company can find a workaround solution in coming months? Yeah, it's a really interesting topic. And, you know, I think what Apple's done with their change in in technology is put privacy in the control of the end user. And obviously, with that, not only uh, does that impact Facebook, but lots of other businesses, too. I think looking ahead to the future, one of the things that all businesses are going to have to do, and in particular, all advertising platforms, is find a way to directly connect between their users and their, the people that are ultimately buying their advertising and share data in a, in a more direct manner. Um, they've been relying on a, a piece of technology called a third-party cookie, which is essentially an anonymous piece of information, but it's also um, a kind of a, a, a proximity of, of a person's activity as opposed to a direct piece of information. So I think with uh, those technological changes, you know, anybody buying advertising, you're going to see uh, that become less effective. Um, And businesses are going to have to change how they do advertising in the long run so that they can still get the same output at the end of it. So in the short term, there's going to be uncertainty for Facebook as businesses feel less uh, confident in investing their advertising dollars there. I felt as though the earnings this time round did show that impact, whereas last time round when Mark Zuckerberg was questioned about these changes, perhaps it was more bluff than what we saw this time when the hard and fast numbers crossed, because effectively we know Apple made these changes directly to target Facebook, but Mark Zuckerberg wasn't exactly conceding defeat last time round. Do you think that they haven't necessarily made enough changes because it felt as though they were trying to engage with the customers, have that sell through through the platform? Are you saying it's just not working at this stage? I'm saying there's still just a lot of unknowns about how it works, not necessarily from Facebook's perspective, but from the uh, purchases of their advertising. You've got to remember that one of the things Facebook uh, set out to do is enable 
small and medium enterprises as well as large ones to procure advertising through its platform. And so there's going to be a lot of users that just haven't figured out how the new system works yet and how they can best get their, their money out of it. Uh, here at Acquia, we always focus on our customers and we're instructing them or at least advising them at the moment to focus on what do you control? What first party data do you have in the short term? Now, first party data effectively is um, the data that you already know about your customer. It might already be in your database as opposed to advertising data where you might not exactly know everything about that person. So with a first party data approach, some of our customers are starting to overcome maybe some of the headwinds they see with driving advertising traffic to their websites. And I'm sure other uh, businesses around the world are doing exactly the same thing as well. Tom, there's no doubt that Facebook still has a huge amount of eyeballs as we take a look at the subscriber numbers, what, 2.91 billion, up 6%, but it was short of market expectations. And we've come off the back of uh, incredible pandemic uh, numbers where you've seen people not have much entertainment and then just quickly turn to social media, which bolstered a lot of the the different platforms last year. So a bit of a a tailwind uh, coming off the back of, of that. What happens from here? Because Facebook has mentioned the challenge in acquiring some of those younger subscribers, do you think it has any chance of getting back into that market or is it just too big at this stage? Well, I I think one of the really interesting things that we're seeing here is the Facebook Reality Labs being broken out as a separate business. Um, For me, this is a clear indicator that Facebook's thinking about changing its its business structure overall. Um, And it's, it's clearly trying to define almost a new market and a new channel for it to captivate users in the future. Um, It's clear that they've got uh, one eye on the overall digital experience that it plays a a part of in in, our wider society. But also, uh, my guess would be that it's looking for another way to not only attract new users, but drive advertising revenue from those with with mixed reality and augmented reality in the future. Um, I could imagine a place where, uh, you know, there's... Um, virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality uh, with advertising as as part of it. Um, And that could form part of the experience we have with brands day to day. So effectively, Facebook's trying to not only, um, you know, overcome its, its current struggles, but it's trying to define a new opportunity. That's a fascinating one, Tom, because we have covered uh, the various moves by Facebook over the years into augmented reality and virtual reality, and clearly Oculus was a a big step into the marketplace. I remember being at a launch in Barcelona as it teamed up with a hardware player to bring the software and some of the hardware to the market. But do you think we're we're taking a, a much further leap now because of the digital trends we've witnessed, the acceleration? Does it make sense to produce even more content in that space now? I don't see any reason for for anybody not to. We've already seen the success of voice assistants and how they exist in almost, you know, uh, well, to say I think almost everybody's maybe a a stretch too far, but they've certainly been prolific in adoption. And those kind of new channels are only going to continue from here. And I, I think that's what customers and consumers want. They want new ways to interact with content. Tom Bianchi, thank you very much for joining us. EMEA CMO at Acquia. Well, we are going to take you to Tesla now, a market cap. The company has surpassed $1 trillion for the first time. Following the news of car rental company Hertz ordering 100,000 vehicles to build out its electric fleet. Tesla is the first auto company to join the $1 trillion club, which already includes tech giants Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet and Amazon. In response to the new milestone, the Tesla CEO Elon Musk tweeted, quote, wild one trillion times. 
But he also wondered why the Hertz order moved the company's valuation so much, considering the company's already struggling to respond to existing demand. And take a look at that share price, uh, 1024 uh, Don't forget uh, the company's uh, share price needs to trade above $995.75 to stay in that $1 trillion club. So... That's the level, and you can see trading above that, uh, the bumper uh, announcement there. But one thing that did jump out to me, I mean, we talk about Hertz, and my immediate reaction was, is the company still around at this point in its current form? You may recall that the company did file for bankruptcy last year. The company uh, battling some of those pandemic trends is clearly the travel industry fell off a cliff. And this is uh, one of those businesses very much tied to travel and that's business and it's leisure. You fly somewhere, then you go and hire a car and it's all very much a challenge around its numbers last year. But uh, the question mark, too, about how Hertz pays for these 100,000 cars uh can it actually come up with the funds? And there's some view that uh, it may have to have uh, about uh, even a $4 billion raising of some sort, uh, even with the discount. So uh, worth just noting how that order could be fulfilled. But no doubt, I think when we talk about Tesla, there's been a huge amount of trading around the, the hope for the future. This was slightly more of a, a fundamental that crossed for the business yesterday. Well, wider implications for the markets based on Tesla. And as it was included in the index back in the day, we were talking about how volatile the markets could become with the Tesla stock involved. And uh, it was instrumental in pushing the S&P 500 and the the Dow both to, well, I should say the S&P to fresh records. The the, uh, NASDAQ stock also, index also moved, but not to a record. It was high by nine-tenths of a percent, the Dow at a record. So the Dow and S&P 500 both trading at record levels yesterday in the session. Home Depot, the big move up for Dow. In terms of the commodity markets, we saw a fairly decent start for the space yesterday and it continues on this morning. We've got another modest improvement in Brent prices, almost two tenths of a percent. Modest tick higher in WTI. Gold prices, they're reversing today, but did seize the $1,800 mark yesterday. So we're just gliding south by about two tenths of a percent. Asia. Uh, let's just move across to that region and uh, we've got the Hong Kong market. The odd one out, a uh, slight patch of red there, but very strong gains for the Japanese stock market, picking up on some of that technology leadership you, you saw stateside. 1.8% pop there. Shanghai Composite trades higher and Australia just moving slightly into the green. But just worth noting, I think we've got a lot of earnings still coming out of the states from the tech sector later this week. And that's going to be quite key potentially for the direction of those US indices, but also for other markets that are still taking their cue from Wall Street. Uh, the opening calls here in Europe, and uh, we are flat on the French market, not much to show on the UK market, but we are seeing some signals on both the DAX in Germany and also the Italian market. Yesterday, we had a patchy all day trade again. The French market out of sorts, it was down by about a third of a percent in contrast to modest gains elsewhere across the board for European stocks. Coming up on the show, we're going to hear from the French Socialist Party spokesperson as all eyes are on President Macron's potential challenges in the 2022 elections. And for more on the picture for big tech earnings this week, don't forget to check out the Squawk Box podcast. It's available in all the usual places, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. To the latest in European politics and Germany's newly elected parliament holds its first session today. There will be 279 new faces in what is the largest ever Bundestag to date, the total of 736 ministers. Bundestag President Wolfgang Schäuble will open proceedings before stepping down and calling an end to his 49 years as a member of the German parliament. Also stepping aside will be Angela Merkel after 31 years in the Bundestag, 16 of which as chancellor. Well, starting this evening, Angela Merkel will be serving as Germany's acting chancellor after she and her cabinet are handed their certificates of discharge. Merkel will remain in the role until a new governing coalition is formed. Germany's Social Democrats, Greens and Free Democrats say they're aiming to install a new government by the week beginning the 6th of December. With the French elections only six months away, the focus is now on President Emmanuel Macron's challenges amid a larger-than-usual pool of contenders vying for the role. Two right-wing candidates, Marine Le Pen and Alex Zimmer, look set to campaign around social issues, while from the centre-right, Xavier Bertrand of Les Republicans presents a less radical option if he wins his party's primaries in December. Meanwhile, the Socialist Party's Anne-Marie Hildalgo is polling at around 5%. Our colleague Charlotte spoke with the party's spokesperson, Lamy El Arage, who said it's too early to make predictions. At the same point in 2016, we always thought François Hollande will become the presidential candidate and Emmanuel Macron didn't yet exist on the political landscape. I think it's really too soon to be able to make a prediction. But I do think that once predictions are made, they shouldn't be based on polls, but more so on campaign dynamics and the support of the French people. From what I feel on the ground is absolutely not what we're being told by the polls. We'll see when the campaigning ends where the Socialist Party will end up. It's worth looking at the performance of the Social Democrats around Europe as well. You mentioned Germany. In Italy, they've won municipal elections in seven of the ten largest cities. In Portugal, the Social Democrats won the Legislative Assembly presidency in Spain as well. So I believe there is a strong dynamic underway in Europe at the moment, and the French Socialist Party will play its part in this European battle. Charlotte also asked about the party's assessment of President Macron's economic policies. I believe the economic performance says it all about his presidency. When you have the social tensions such as those in France right now, with the yellow vests, with the striking transport and healthcare workers, I don't think we can speak of a country that's doing better economically. Here we have Emmanuel Macron, who wants to redo everything he did as president. Six months ahead of the elections, Emmanuel Macron is talking about magic money that will just appear out of nowhere, and he's saying he'll invest here and there without the budgetary justification. This worries me a lot because I ask myself, who will pay? And when we are fed up because the most vulnerable always end up paying. We see a direct correlation between social inequalities and the realities of Emmanuel Macron's economic plan, where the most at risk continue to be so, while the rich continue to get richer. That's not the vision for the Republic, at least not for the Socialist Party. Later in the show, we will be speaking with Le Republican Deputy Secretary General Pierre-Henri Dumont. That is at 9.30 CET.
Just want to take you to the bond markets as we talk about uh, some of the European politics. So worth noting, we have moved a fair distance on some of these trades and arguably linked to U.S. Treasury markets where we've seen that escalation in the 10-year but across the curve. And you can see on German bonds, we have now moved to the negative 0.11 mark. So we are closing the gap towards zero. And this is obviously a yield that's tracked closer to negative half of a percent over the course of the, of the last few months. So just worth noting how quickly we've moved also on the French market. I mean, this was at times at the start of this year and during the year, very close to the zero mark on the 10-year yield. But you can see we've marched positive to the tune of almost a quarter of 1%. We're at 022 at this stage. So there is a little bit of appetite in the marketplace, as you can see, to lift these yields higher. The question is, what happens if there's any political risk around the corner? Where do these yields go from there? And uh, just worth noting as we count down to that French election where we sit six months out. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.